Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North, and today is episode four of the United Soccer Coaches Convention series that I'm doing. And today's Jose Day. As I said, I was able to sit in and watch a uh, one-hour Q&A at uh, Joe Cummings, who was a former CEO of the United Soccer Coaches Organization. Sat down and chatted with Mourinho for an hour. I asked him actually some really good questions. Not not a lot of the really boring stuff that you are used to hearing all the time. And I think it was I think it was great. It was really nice because Mourinho he does give you a certain sense of honesty and candor that's always great. Very similar to how I talked about Emma Hayes. They're not so worried about whether or not something that they say might. Uh, sound like they're giving something away or that they're, you know, they they trust themselves enough to know that their message will be clear and that they're interesting enough to listen to. So the other thing about this segment that I want to mention, that this is not my audio. I didn't interview Jose Mourinho, right? I am just part of a convention where this webinar was free for us to go see and I did and it was absolutely totally worth it now the other thing is I want to mention this convention for a second because this is my fourth one uh the first time that I've that we've all had to do it remote it's been in person live every year before and I have really gotten some amazing things out of it some of the people I've seen speak Todd Bean from the Tovo Academy in Barcelona he's uh, actually Johan Cruyff's late Johan Cruyff's um, son-in-law. So I saw him speak. He's an incredible guy. I've seen people run amazing sessions, top pros, people who, you know, guys who are top of, uh, you know, U17 national teams or head of federation somewhere and really, really amazing things. But it's not just a coach's convention either. It encompasses all the different things around the game. And so if you're someone who loves the sport, who works in it, Uh, This is a great place to go. If you don't work in the sport, and maybe you want to, and you want a career pivot, this is, again, one of those great networking opportunities, just a location where football is the world, football is the jungle, and we're all in it trying to find exactly what piece of it works best for us. And I'm telling you, it it really is an amazing thing. So if you are someone who hears this and goes, I would like to be able to tune in on this kind of stuff in the future, Become a United Soccer Coaches member and keep an eye out every year in January. This convention comes around and it's getting better and better and better. The names that they're able to bring and pull are more and more impressive every year. So without further ado, let me just get on to Mourinho. So I'm going to go ahead and give you clips that I sort of took out from from the interview he did. And I'm not going to talk a whole lot. I'm really just kind of going to set them up to give you some context of what the topic is. And then you can just listen and enjoy and take what you want from it. So to begin, uh, he was asked basically how he plans sessions, right? So Joe, Joe Cummings saw him do a thing at UCLA a few years ago. And the way Mourinho set the whole thing up was you know, really, really impressive. Everyone was like, wow, look at the way it's everything is so detailed. And in terms of cones, markers, and everything. And so this is what Mourinho had to say about that. <laughs> the players used to call it uh, Ethro Gatwick. They call it the airport. But um, the objective is, is only one. Uh, the training session 
on the technical tactical level takes 90 minutes since the end of the warm-up and the end of the training session. To do that, we, we want the maximum effective time of activity. We want to try to reproduce with the different exercises, we want to try to reproduce what a football match is. We don't want to be on the pitch for two hours or three. We don't want to be on the pitch 90 minutes and work 20. We want to be on the pitch for 90 minutes and work 90 minutes. We really believe in the specificity of, of the training session and the, the transfer to the to the game. So to do that, there is no time to move um, to move goals, to move cones. It's also impossible to do it with one pitch. And uh, I go back to 2002 when I went to Porto and um, was not the Portuguese culture at all. Uh, now it is. But 2002 was the first time a club built um, a facility with uh, three parallel pitches, uh, which means that you can work at the same time in, in three of them or two if you don't need the third. And so this is an interesting thing right here, I think what he said about how they, they need three pitches, right, that are right next to each other. And that way they can move from one to the next and really keep everything organized, flowing. And like I said, you don't have to pick stuff up, move things around. And everyone understands what the idea is from the very beginning. And they do 90 minutes. They don't try and do two, three hours. So it's really interesting to hear that this is how efficient they want to be. When I go to the pitch with my people, everything is is on my, my brain, not at all. Uh, we prepare everything. We, we print for, for everybody and even, even the kid man or even the young kids that come to us to help us in the end, they do a kind of coaching course. It's really, really cool to involve everybody like that, the kit man, the, the academy kids, and everyone really knows what the whole plan is. That collaborative effort really does create a strong sense of culture. Um, so he involves everybody. And I think that's really, really smart. Um, we get a first, they get a first-hand look, these kids, at what Mourinho coaches. And, and maybe they aren't going to ever be grown up enough to actually play in his team. But just being able to see it for a small, short amount of time in their in their youth careers is really, really cool. Gives them a little bit of a leg up in terms of maybe wanting to go be coaches. So another thing, he went on to talk about his dad's experience as a coach because his dad was a professional coach in the professional Portuguese league, the first, the top league, and he would help him out with little things, small details at the beginning of practice and stuff. And that's really how he got going. And this conversation sort of tails off into the evolution of where all this has gone. And it's really, really impressive to hear his story and his views on what it used to look like and what it looks like now. I always say that the best GPS is, is my experience. And uh, normally the GPS always agree with, with my analyze. I remember my, my kid's time where uh, my father was coaching in the Portuguese Premier League. And... Uh, my father's staff was my father and my father, um, nobody else. So he was, he was the fitness coach, he was the coach, was the goalkeeper coach, he was the tactical, and that's why I appear with 15 or 16-year-olds, helping him 
doing little things because at that time, not even an assistant coach. And we are speaking about a professional league, the Portuguese uh, league, league one, a professional league, and I would say 40 years ago, uh, not 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 400, 40 years ago. So even on my on my time as as a coach was a big evolution on on that. And if I compare what my staff was uh, in my beginnings 20 years ago, and I compare now, is a complete different situation. Uh, the situation is that also the clubs they have to be prepared because it's impossible for a coach to move from club to club. Uh, also economically for a club would be a disaster. Uh, a coach cannot move from club to club and take 20 persons. Uh, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. So when you are in a club, you have also to build a structure that is going to remain after you leave. So I built this in the clubs with three or four assistants that they arrive with me and they help me to put everything in place and to give the dynamica to a staff that in this moment is a huge staff. Uh, the nutritionists in this moment are club people. Uh, the sports science are club people. The analysts are club people. So you have, I think in this moment, the responsibility to build this in a club if the club doesn't have it, to improve it if the club has it, and to leave behind you when you move. So when I move, I move with a very basic, with a very basic staff of one fitness coach, one assistant coach, one analyst, one goalkeeper coach, and that's it. Because these four are the ones that are going to help me to put in place and are the ones that I trust to delegate and are the ones that I considered like the puzzle. Because in the end, I don't want in my staff people with the same qualities that I have. I want people that can complete the puzzle. What I love about that whole section is just how interesting that reality is that some coaches do go from one club to the next with like 15 people and think about how much that does to the club. What that I mean they don't have these people as full-time staff. They're just coming with a coach, getting paid and then when you sack them, you sack all of them. So very expensive what he talked about. And I think it's really interesting that he's he's got it really parsed down to just a few people that he trusts. And that if they it, it's also an easy team where if someone goes and moves on and gets a their own job or you know moves on to do something else from from you know Mourinho's little staff, it's not hard for him to bring someone else in that he feels really complements the group. And I love also the idea that when you get to a club. If they don't have these things set up, these systems in place, you try and put them together. If they already do, you try and improve them. And what's for sure is you try and leave things at least in as good a shape as you possibly can when you leave. And I, I just think that this, these are things that we don't really hear. That I thought that was a really cool inside scoop into how you create a staff and, and sort of what goes on at clubs. Because it does happen that people bring 20 people in and then when they get fired six months later, it's a just a total clearing of house, right? Uh, obviously, technology has also changed. Uh, football and everything in our lives, really. But 
the way we think about how professional coaches and everyone, how they are using technology to adapt to new times, well, this is really cool. Evolution, technology uh, at every level. I couldn't imagine 20 years ago that um, a drone would be recording my training session. I remember in my first job in, in Benfica, I remember that sometimes for a certain exercise, I go up to the to the last uh, to the last step of of the stadium to have that vision and to have that uh, capacity to analyze a certain exercise in this moment i have a drone and i can even be analyzing that uh, on real time and if i don't want to do it on real time i do it immediately after the training session so yes technology has changed a lot of things there is one thing that doesn't change which is our brain. And don't replace the coach brain, don't replace the coach capacity to analyze, don't replace the coach feeling, don't replace the coach leadership, doesn't replace in the end uh, what a coach is. Now what I love about that is obviously it matters what you do on a personal level. And as cool as it is to have all these different technological things that we can use, we also did get by just fine before we had them. So now it's how to use them to actually be efficient, to actually get the most out of them. And how do you keep in mind what the reality of your job is? It's, it's to manage people. It's to be able to motivate these people, um, these high-level professionals that, you know, they need certain levels of stimulus and they need to be able to be understood and uh, given clarity so that they understand exactly what is needed from them all the time. And using all this technology, can can I've seen coaches and people get really, really kind of bogged down with all the different possibilities that they have technologically and essentially just forget what you're really there for. So remember, I think he, what he's talking about here is a really, really good blending of being able to use the technologies and also use your pedagogies, mix them together, and make something happen that's that's really, really valuable for the team. And one thing many of us spectators take for granted is really how much is changing in the game right now. How much these guys are having to adapt, not just over the last five years that the game is evolving and changing and playing styles, but also COVID and how much that has impacted everything. And it, what that did was it, it really changed the whole landscape of what it is to be a football coach. And I think from our outside perspective, this next bit of information is really, really, really impressively interesting. Yeah, one thing is basic, which is the more matches you play, the less time for training sessions you have. If you have the majority of your time focused on recovering the players to play in 48 hours, less time for an effective training session you have, the more time you need on match analyze on video analyze to try to educate the players in a way that you cannot do it or you have to do it, as I used to say, at a low intensity. i give you an example. Tonight, I have still players on national team matches. They are going to travel from South America, from Africa, from Europe, from everywhere. They are going to arrive here for uh, testing. They cannot even training because they can only train 
after the results of the testing. So I'm going to have the players on Friday and I play on the Saturday. I have no time to train. I have no conditions to train. I have to replace that with match analyze. I think the biggest evolution went from we we used to years ago to focus on analyze the opponent. And in this moment is much more in analyzing ourselves than analyzing the opponents. The evolution of uh, the tactical culture went in such a, a dimension that analyzed opponents big is a big has a big unpredictability because in this moment tactical culture is so high that it's difficult to say a team has a certain pattern of play, a team has a certain modern model of play, because in this moment the top teams in the top leagues, they don't have a model of play. They have tactical culture, culture that allows them to play in many different ways. So am I going to spend my time analyzing Man City building with a back four? Maybe they are coming with a back three. Uh, am I going to analyze uh, Chelsea uh, because Chelsea all the way they press, they press with the wingers and they drop the striker. Maybe against me, they're not going to do that. Maybe against me, they're going to wait in a low block. So the teams, the evolution of the teams is so high that we have to think more about us and less about others. What means, what means think more about us? Means that we have to develop tactical culture. And when we don't have time, to do it on the pitch, we have to do it to do it a lot on match analyze. What we did, what we want to do, what we did wrong, and sometimes it's minimal details that are going to make a difference. And w when I hear that, I think really about the fact that we have seen so little consistency from pretty much any team in Europe. I mean, it has really been fascinating. Very few teams are putting together consistent runs of form. Yeah, they, they go in a run of form, but then it tails off and they really struggle. And I wonder if all of this has been a huge has had a huge impact on that and just really testing who's able to adapt, who's able to evolve, who can pick up and get the pieces going quickly. All right, so he went on to go through what the club did when lockdown first happened and how really important it was for them to try and dot all their I's, cross their T's, and really make sure that they were ready for any eventuality. The biggest challenge was we we don't know when we are going to start. We don't even know if we are going to start. We don't even know if we are going to finish the season. But we don't even know if in a couple of weeks we are playing. And this uncertainty was was very, very difficult to manage because we didn't know if we were preparing for the championship to return or no we didn't know and that was was the worst thing uh, we were at home everybody was at home uh, only me and the staff were coming to the training ground to do the sessions uh, for the players to prepare everything for the players the players were at home but we built the gym in in every player's house um, some they had it the majority didn't we prepared a gym in every in every player's house we we gave them uh, every meal of every day. They were getting the meals at home prepared by the nutritionists and, and the club. We had um, 
the GPS, uh, Wi-Fi, where we even being away from us, we could control uh, everything they were uh, they were doing. We gave them the training sessions uh, on the Zoom. We gave them tactical tactical analyze of everything they did. We did it uh, also on the Zoom, and we tried to give them everything. The biggest problem was we don't know if we are going to have it. We don't know if we are going to play. We don't know why are we doing all this effort if in the end maybe we are not going to play. That was the most difficult period. We started after other countries and that gave me the opportunity to communicate with some of my colleagues and friends in Portugal, in Germany, because they started before us. And the biggest message that uh, I could I could catch and, and I brought to the group was uh, you only realize that the game was a very important game after the game. And not before the game, because before the game you used to to go to the pitch and to be stuck in traffic uh, because thousands and thousands of people are in the street. So you start playing the game in that moment. Now you go to the game and there's nobody in the in the road, nobody in the street. Then you arrive in the in the dressing rooms and the stadium is half full and now it's empty. Then you play the game and nobody supports you. Nobody goes against you. Nobody boos you. Nobody puts pressure on you. And you don't feel that the game is big. And then after the game, when you go home and you go sad because you lost or you go happy because you won, is when you realize, oh, fuck, this game was for three points. With this victory, I go up in the table. Oh, shit. With this defeat, I'm almost relegated. With this defeat, I have no chance to get uh, a Champions League position. And then you realize, wow, but I didn't give everything. And I could give more than I give. And this was the message that I could get from the German and the Portuguese guys. And I, I think I was successful in, in, in putting this in the, players, in the players' minds. The game is a very important game. That penalty is as important as if you have the stadium with 7,000 guys, feel the same pressure, feel the same responsibility. And we work, we work a lot around this situation uh, because uh, in the end we are animal of habits. And in this moment, to be honest, we go to the empty stadium. And I think in this moment, we, we, we can play that match knowing that is a big match to play, even if it is without any, any public. So again, I, I think for all of us who have been wondering, what's it like for players to not play with fans? Well, this is a really great example. From the very beginning of the day, when they're setting out on game day normally, they can tell there's the tension in the streets, maybe there's fans at the ground. And here it's like this sterile thing from beginning to end. And it's interesting to think that a lot of teams and players had to realize, oh, God, we just played like a really important game and blew it. Or, wow, we got an important win. I thought that was really, really fascinating the way he he talked about that. But, you know, also, here's the thing. Jose's been known as a, t as a coach to take a really, really hard line and to have very specific set ways of doing things, and it's my way or the highway. But I think it's clear that he's adapted a lot of parts of his own methodology and what he does. And one thing remains 
constant in that methodology. Check this out. In the end of the day, I had, uh, because I always try to learn from others. So in the other day, I had, with my assistant, I had a, a very, very interesting um, conversation with a big, a big Formula One uh, guy and uh, a big Formula One boss. And he was telling me that after every race, they meet immediately. Uh, after every race ends, they meet immediately where every feeling is fresh, where the pilot has everything to say, where the engineers, the mechanics, they are all still involved in, in the race. So they, they have these meetings immediately after. I thought about it and I think he's right. But maybe football is, is a different jungle. And um, I prefer after the game to let the players rest. If uh, people had the possibility to watch me at United, at Chelsea, at Real, at Inter, at Porto, they would see me different. Because um, the communication has a lot to do with, with the group. You have to adapt to, to, to it. And something that for me is, is really, really important is doesn't matter the strategies, uh, doesn't matter the empathy. Because after so many years of experience, uh, maybe some of the younger, the younger colleagues, they still don't have enough experiences to, to say yes or no. But when you are getting into 15, 20 years of football of experience, and you can compare different moments, different periods, there is something that has to be always there, which is you have to be honest. You have to be honest. You have to be uh, direct. Uh, and that is something that sometimes creates uh, friction. But I believe that is better than to create a situation where, uh, where um, the players can, can have uh, bad feelings in relation to you. Even yesterday I read a big player that he had big coaches in his career. And, uh, okay, I'm sorry, one of them was, was me. And uh, the journalist was asking me, uh, tell us about this coach, about that coach, about that coach, about that coach. Uh, he told, uh, one, I learned so much with him. He's such an amazing coach, but I don't want to speak about him. The other one, ah, good coach. And, uh, and when he speaks to, uh, about me, he says, my friend, uh, even so many years after, it uh, doesn't matter what we won together. doesn't matter that we were successful. doesn't matter that we won uh, the Premier League. He's my friend. And, uh, and last week, I was on the phone with him. He's my friend. And even if some guys, they don't say, he is my friend, because in the end, in football, we are all selfish, and uh, the players, they only love you if they play. If they don't play, they hate you. Uh, that's, the, that's the lost battle that we all have. But to have the guys looking to the past and say, the guy honest, the guy honest. I think this is a very important thing 
that puts you in a in a position uh, with the group where um, they can agree, they can disagree, but they cannot argue that you are always trying to be. I think that's great. I mean, it's something that we've kind of known about Mourinho for a long time. He he is very much known as honest. It's what a lot of players who played for him have said over the years. And so it was great to hear him just talk about that's also the way communication styles work and also change from time to time, place to place, uh, team to team. Then he was asked something a little bit off to the side. What do spectators not see about Harry Kane and the way he plays? Now, he did say, look, people who know football, they see. They know what it is. But then he went on to explain the difference between Harry Kane and a lot of other strikers. There are a group of fantastic strikers that if they don't score a goal, they do nothing in that game. They are phenomenal because normally they score. But if in a certain game, and these games are always happening, if that striker doesn't score goals, his contribution for the team was zero. And Harry Kane can score, and he scored a lot. But if he doesn't score, he can assist. If he cannot assist, he can create spaces for other people because he's very intelligent, he understands the game very well, Tactically, he has a big culture. He understands everything we want. And even without touching the ball, his movement can create a lot for others. But even if he doesn't give you that, he will be fantastic defensively because he understands very well the, the areas of pressure, the timings of pressure. He understands that very well, so he will give you that. And in the end, if one day he doesn't give you that, he gives you an amazing work on defensive set pieces. So he's the kind of guy that you can analyze and say, he does this and this and this and this and that. He gives you a lot. He cannot be measured by goals. Which is totally true. I mean, you know, a forward like Harry Kane, who is as diverse and gives as much to the team as he can, you can't just measure him with goals. But then there are some strikers, that's all you measure them with. Um, moving on to another different topic here. He was actually asked one thing we've probably all wondered. Are you going to get into management of a national team at some point? Is that something you want to do? And we've heard Marino talk about how he's reticent to do it because he would get bored. He wants to be on the training pitch every single day, right? But here was his response to that idea down the line. I want, I want, I want, I, I will not, I will not finish my career without that for sure. For sure, I want to have that experience. Uh, of course, the great motivation is to play uh, the Euros or to play the World Cup. Of course, that, that final phase is the salt and the pepper. Of course, I want to do that. But to do that, you have to qualify. Uh, unless you, you coach the, the team that hosts the, the event. But you have to qualify. To qualify, you have to be in a certain national team for a certain period of time. And I want to do, and I want to do that. But my my question many times is: if we all know that there is no time to work, if we all know that uh, it's difficult to know the players in in depth, if we all know that the number of uh, of training sessions compared with the club is is minimal, if we all know that, why the majority of the national coaches they keep selecting? players and players and players, and in the end of a season, they had 60 players in the national team. For me, a national team has to be coached like a team. 
an open team, let's say an open squad, but you cannot select 50 players in a season. You must objectively, you must objectively work and decide these, let's say, 25 players are my squad. An open squad. The door is open for, in a certain moment, some player that didn't belong to this group is doing amazing in the club, had an explosion of performance, is in a performance level that he deserves to get into this group. And yes, the door is open and you bring that player, even if that player is playing in a league so far from, from the country, it doesn't matter. But the national team, I think, has to be coached as a club. So if I don't have the players many days during a year, I must keep the majority of the same players. And in North America, I don't know. In, in, in your competitions, CONCACAF, I don't know the direction. But in Europe, the players, they go, they don't go. Another one goes, another one doesn't go. In the end of the year, they don't have a pattern of play. They don't have a team. They don't have a philosophy. They have nothing. It's just a group of players that they go together because they are very good players. They are very good players, but they don't know how to play together. They don't train enough. They don't have enough uh, stability in, in, in their work. So yes, one day I want to do it. One day I want to do it. Not yet. Too young for that. Uh, but one day I want to do it for sure. And that's actually great to hear because we would all love to see Mourinho at some point at the World Cup or the Euros. I mean, I think it'd be fascinating. It really would be. Now, there's one thing that I'm really glad they touched on, the Amazon series. Now, I don't have Amazon Prime, so I didn't actually watch the All or Nothing Tottenham. I did see the Man City one. I also watched First Team Juventus, and um, I also watched the Sunderland Till I Die one. So these were all really fun. I actually really enjoyed what Mourinho himself said about what the whole experience was like and what they got out of it and how he thinks... It just was a good contribution for football. I didn't watch it uh, because I feel a bit embarrassed with it because it's like uh, somebody puts a camera in your house and they they watch you on your privacy. So I feel quite embarrassed with it. Uh, that's why I didn't want to watch it. But I have to admit that for people that love football, has to be amazing because for people that loves football is the unknown is did I love it the I don't know Amazon or Netflix a Formula One a series I loved it <laughs> why because I love Formula One but the only thing that I know from Formula One are the races I don't know anything else uh, so this kind of show gives to the people that loves a certain sport, gives gives an insight, gives a going into into a dark a dark area. People doesn't know. People people doesn't know how it is at half time. People doesn't know what is a fight between players. People doesn't know what is a coach meeting with uh, a certain player that is upset because he's not playing. People doesn't know it. We know. Football people knows. But how many millions they don't know and they just love to see it. So 
I think was a great contribution to football in the sense of people loves it. I know that even even my daughter that doesn't give a shit about football, even my daughter watched it and told, oh, what what interesting. I never thought that your job was this. And she's my daughter. So I can imagine, how can you imagine people around around the world gets very interesting with with these stories, I don't have stories because in the end, everything was real. Because we know, we knew, we were told and we can understand that in other clubs where they did it was a lot of fake. Uh, I know that, for example, a club, they did a tactical meeting, a real tactical meeting, and then bring the cameras and we are going to do a fake tactical meeting for... Uh, Amazon or Netflix or whatever. In our case, everything was real. The cameras were all over the place. They were hidden. We knew that they were there, of course, but they were hidden in a way where in your day by day, you don't realize that they are there. You forget that they are there. So everything was real. Was Nothing was hidden. Everything was was real. Uh, so I think for the people, it's quite interesting. Yeah, well, we, we always, as fans, we want to be able to see those inside looks and, and understand those things. Before I close out and really let Mourinho close out, here's one little story that he chose to end with that gives you a little inside scoop onto what coaches who weren't top players were actually like when they played. But I, I tell you a funny story. The majority of the coaches in, in Europe that they were not great players. There are, there are some, they were great players. Uh, Zidane and, uh, and uh, Guardiola, some guys, they were great players. But some others, they were not. And when they were not great players, they have all the same story. I was very good, but when I was young, I had an incredible difficult injury. And I am the only one that objectively says, I was not a big player because I didn't have talent. I'm the only one. All the others, they had important injuries. They were as bad as I was. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I, I, Mourinho is really, he's a character I've always liked. I am a Chelsea fan, so you have to understand we loved Mourinho in that first year he came to the Premier League, that his first stint. And I know a lot of people didn't. And I know over the years, people have decided, you know, he's Captain Deflecto, he's, you know, doesn't care about young players, he blames everyone else. But the reality is, this is a guy who, when you get to see him just explain the way he sees things and talk about things on this kind of basis, you get a totally different understanding. And... Yeah, he has to be a certain type of leader and he is a certain amazing type of person and this is why this was so much fun for me. And I really hope you all enjoyed this as well. Again, if you're interested in seeing stuff like this on a more consistent basis, this convention every year, it's got great, great people that come, great guests, amazing talks, wide variety of topics, and then every now and again you get someone like this. Thanks for stopping by. This is Campfire Football. We'll give you another update soon. Bye.